Hello and welcome to Cannon and Cockrell. My name is Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. And I'm Jason and I'm an Arsenal fan. And I, th- I think the last time we did this was before the North London derby at Tottenham. So <laughs> a lot has happened since then, a lot of ups and downs for both of our teams. But as it stands today, Arsenal remain top of the league, Spurs uh, in the top four and fourth place, but Liverpool now hot on our heels. Um out of the FA Cup, but with a second leg uh, knockout Champions League tie against Milan to look forward to Arsenal in the Europa League. Uh, Jason, I'm, I'm guessing you have a lot of gloating that you'd like to do. North London forever. Well, I don't even know where to start, Michael, because, you know, I thought, OK, good start to the season. Top of the league. Yep. Mind gap. All of that. And... Uh, you kind of think it, you always, you know, you give a bit of fighting talk, but you think it's going to peter out, right? But it hasn't petered out. We've had a few slips, but some would say lucky, but others might say no. You know, we've, we've kept up the pace of Man City, um, or otherwise Man City have tried to keep up the pace with us. And truth be known, we're looking here, we've got 12 games left of the season, and we're five points clear. Now, that means nothing when... You have to go and play um, Chelsea. You have to go play City, Liverpool. Um, I believe Newcastle as well, potentially as well. So there are tough, tough games ahead. And Fulham away next week is no easy, easy game. But the way it's going and the way we're playing and the way we're coming back and persevering and coming back from these slip-ups makes me think for the first time, we could do it, you know. And I think for me, I'm trying to frame it as right. It's looking pretty good with the 18-point gap with Tottenham. 18-point gap. Tottenham, mind the gap. Um, it's looking good for top four. It was the target. It was Champions League. Job pretty much done. So anything else is a bonus. And I would hope we can even get a nice run in the, in the uh, Europa League as well. But we're in this position now. Apart from tough fixtures... You know, on paper, it's doable. And I'd be very disappointed if we didn't do it now. I'm getting excited and I didn't, I wasn't getting excited, but it's getting to the business end of the season now. And I think if, if by the end of March slash the beginning of April, we're still there, then, then, then I will concede that we are, we are the favourites. So from an Arsenal perspective, it's cloud line because apart, I mean, it's interesting because when Arsenal go on these runs, I start to think, well, there's no one I'd replace in the team. But actually, what's weirdly happened is you've had these injuries and you've had these reserves come in and you've actually had kind of Arteta shaking the pack up, which is what we needed last year. To say, yes, you might be playing OK, but OK isn't good enough. Martinelli, get in the bin. Trossard on you come. Trossard, not good enough. Martinelli, back in. Bang. You're creating that momentum and creating that friendly competition but everyone's on the same page and all the principles can't be cutting edge football principles. It just seems to be coming at the right time. And it, it feels a bit lestery in terms of the structure of the team, the flow, the kind of momentum we're getting, but it's not Leicester by shock because as I always told you, Arsenal were looking good. And I said it last year and everyone laughed at us, but it's been a journey upwards and we've seen it step by step, starting with that FA cup win um, giving you that winning mentality, then slowly into that season where we were playing good football but not quite getting the results. Now it's all coming together, and 
we are top of the league, mind the gap. Um, and as I said, 18 points ahead of Spurs, who, God help me, I'm happy we finished below them last year because they kept Antonio Conte, um, one of the worst managers um, to ever grace Spurs. Uh, <laughs> they, you know, they've still got their boring axis of Kane and Son, who now, to be perfectly honest, are finished. Um, opening mentality, they're... Um, in fighting, the fans hate the owners, the owners hate the players, the manager hates the fans. <laughs> it's all a mess, and I'm here for it. I love it, and I don't think there's a way out of the mud for Spurs apart from starting again. And if I was a if I was a billionaire looking to invest in the club, I wouldn't touch Spurs with a barge pole. I don't really know how to respond to that. I mean, um, Conte, one of the worst managers to ever grace Spurs. I think um, Nuno Espirito Santo would would like a word. I think, um, I don't know, I guess one day Ramos won a trophy, but then he did oversee the worst start in our history, I think, the season after that. I think there's been a lot of managers worse than uh, Antonio Conte. Kane and Son finished. Son, maybe, but Kane's got 18 goals uh, this season. I think only Haaland scored more, so I think he's still... Performing. I mean, I dread to think where we'd be without Harry Kane uh, this season, uh, based on the, the performance against Sheffield United when he didn't start. We'd, we'd maybe be relegation candidates without him. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's it's funny because on the one hand, you say, yeah, it's not been a, a, a good season Spurs compared to what the expectations were at the beginning of the season and what they were at the end of last season. As you said, we pitched you to fourth and that felt like such a pivotal game-changing moment and maybe it was just not in the way that anyone expected I mean if Arsenal had finished top it's weird and do you think that if Arsenal had finished fourth last season that you would have then gone on to do what you've done this season because it kind of felt like at the beginning of the season that the way last season ended was almost what was sort of driving you on this sense that okay we can't let that happen again and then because of that you ended up in this situation where now you're competing for the title but do you think if you you had finished top four last season, maybe you wouldn't have had the same fire in your belly that you seem to have right from the off this year. I agree, because I, I think we would have had to play a full team in the Champions League group stages, could have got injuries, could have been fatigued, could have slipped up, whereas we were able to put out that that weakened team. And I think you're right, it was, it was, it was probably that was the galvanising message that let's prove them wrong and show how well we've done. But I think the progress would have stayed there. You would have thought, Funnily enough, I think we might have tried to sign better players on paper and we wouldn't have got the players we've got. But what's interesting is how do you get City title winners, Jesus and Zinchenko, when you finish fifth? It's phenomenal and it shows the power of, of the manager and the spirit and the project. And I think people were looking medium to long term. I don't think they expected this at all. I think this has just been, we started gaining momentum um, and the plan is just, coming to fruition quicker because everyone else is not quite as good as they have been. When you say like, yeah, how did you sign Jesus and Sinchenko when you finished fifth? I think it's because you, fin- I think it's because City didn't see you as a threat because you finished fifth. Right. And obviously Arteta had that relationship with them uh, from his days at City. But I mean, that's so typical Tottenham though, isn't it? Even when we win, we lose. Right. When we, we beat you to fourth last season, had that victory. And yet it seems like that potentially could have been the worst thing we could have done. It's like even when we seemingly do the right thing, it turns out to be the wrong thing Um, because that should have been. And I think this is why now I 
and feel, and I think a lot of Spurs fans are feeling like once we go out of the Champions League, our season is is over because I, I feel like there's very little excitement now among Spurs fans about finishing fourth or about this season becoming yet another race for the top four because last season finishing the top four, which was built up to be this huge important thing in terms of allowing us to kick on. And if anything, we've stagnated at best, regressed at worst. I mean, we're still in the top four in the knockout stage of the Champions League. A few years ago for Spurs, that'd be considered an incredible season, regardless of the, the trophy situation. But now it just kind of feels like, well, we've had all these years of finishing in the top four and it hasn't really got us anywhere. I mean, okay, financially, of course, and, and who knows, maybe there's players we signed who we wouldn't have been able to otherwise. And maybe with the stadium, without Champions League football, that wouldn't have been possible, blah, 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 blah. But you've been out of the Champions League for, what, five, six, seven years, and yet you're now looking like you might win a title. Whereas we've been in the Champions League all these years and it kind of feels like, well, where did it get us? Okay, we had that incredible run to the final in 2019. Who knows what might happen this year? Maybe we go on another miraculous run. I mean, it was uh, very unexpected and happened before, probably even more unexpected if it happened now. But it kind of feels like, well, why should we get excited or bothered about another top four race at the end of the season if that's all the season's going to end up being once we go out of the Champions League? Because it's not like it's it's taken us to the, the next level. You know, it's fun when we first qualified and we hadn't been in it before. And to, to begin with, it, it was big to kind of get us in amongst the elite and to kind of turn the top four into a big six. And it was important then to not just be a flash in the pan and, and to be in year in, year out. But now it's like, OK, well, now what? Unless it's actually going to take you to the next level, you might as well be in the, the Europa League or Conference League and actually have a chance of winning it. But we won't because even when we end up in those competitions, we don't take those seriously either. We do what we did against Sheffield United the other night and put out a reserve team to rest players for the Premier League games so we can finish top four. But then we lose those Premier League games anyway, right? We've rested all those players against Sheffield United, went out with one of our best chances to win an FA Cup in years. And then we still lost at the weekend. So you kind of feel like, well, what what was the point? And, it, and I think that's certainly how I'm feeling at Spurs at the moment. It's kind of um, a sort of, the way I put it is we're in a very kind of privileged purgatory with Spurs at the moment, where we're in a position most clubs and most fans would kill for to be in the knockout stage of the Champions League, to be in the top four, to be in a position where you're almost starting to get bored with Champions League qualification, right? That's a very kind of first world problem to have. But it it feels like we're kind of, you know, you messaged me the other day saying, how are Spurs fourth when you've had such a bad season? You know, we've lost nine games this year and yet we're in the top four. I think the lowest we've finished in the league in the past 15, 16 years has been eighth, right? So it kind of feels like we're in this position where we're too good to ever really have any sort of sense of jeopardy, although that might change if, you know, Kane leaves in the summer, we could then find ourselves falling down the table. But as it stands, we're sort of too good to ever really be any sort of trouble. Um, you know, even the likes of, you know, Arsenal, Chelsea, United, Liverpool have kind of finished lower than Spurs in the past 16 years in, in their lowest league finishes. But at the same time, we're not quite good enough to really kick on and compete either it's the classic joke from in Bruges about purgatory being Tottenham it's like well you're just in this in-between state where you know too kind of too good to fail but not good enough to really succeed and you kind of think well if we're in that position and at the same time we're not going to go all out for the cups either it's kind of just like well what are we doing it's like we're just kind of pootling along not really not really one thing, not really the other. And I mean, I guess be careful what you wish for. Like I said, that could change very quickly. We could end up being in a position where we do feel some jeopardy. 
equally it could change very quickly in a position where we're competing again but it just kind of feels like we're in this in-between state and I'm just a bit a bit bored really I think after Sheffield United game I was really angry at how we'd thrown that game away with that team selection and now I'm kind of just facing up to the prospect of the last few months of the season where if we go I say if we go to the Champions League realistically when we go to the Champions League all we have to look forward to is potentially a top four battle but I'm kind of just like so what and I've got to I've got to face up to the a couple months of waiting probably for Conte to leave at the end of the summer probably waiting for Arsenal to win the league and the best we can hope for is a, another top four finish which didn't really um, lead to anything last season um so yeah I know obviously a lot of fans would say well these, these are nice problems to have you know but at the same time it's kind of like well yeah I don't know I mean this is all music to my ears I absolutely love it I mean <laughs> It's always what I've said. I was like, what is the strategy at Spurs, right? Because in a way, if you'd taken the 100 and something million for Kane, you could have rebuilt the team. But then but again, we, would, we were never that's... offered that, though. That was a problem, I think. I think if we'd been offered 150 odd million, I reckon yeah, we would have worth, taken it. We were never worth 150 million. That's overrated. Was. If, if, Grealish is, if Grealish is worth 100 million. But he's not worth 100 million. Well, that's, but that's how much City paid for him. So if the okay, same so. club then come for you for Kane, you're not going to accept 80 million. When Anthony goes or whatever he is, it goes for 100 million. We were never, you know, 80 million was, you might say 150 million was too high, but what City were offering was way too low at the same time. The World Cup. Sorry? Now I'm starting to talk about Trash Talk Kane. Oh. Um, my usual. But where am I going with this? Again, what is, what is the strategy? Where's long term planning? Because again, you did spend money. It's all this Enoch won't spend money and where's the money? Blah, blah, blah. Well, Charleston for 60 million was the worst signing you've ever made <laughs> uh, after Ndombele for like 600 million. So uh, the truth is, where do you go from here? You, you've you had now two of the best managers in Premier League history. I know I contradicted myself there. Um, <laughs> and all these great players and spent all this money. But you've you've regressed and there's no strategy and there's no one coming through that looks any good apart from maybe um, Oliver Skip. Long live Oliver Skip. So, so what... What is the plan? Because you get to summer, right? You sat Conte or he leaves um, very happily, probably. Kane leaves. And then and then you're back where the Tim Sherwood days. It's like, where do Spurs go? Do you, so, you bring Ryan Mason in? And then you're trying to copy Arsenal? Or do you find another white space? What is What is the next frontier to grab to have a strategy to compete against all the other clubs? Is it to be bought? Because, again... It will be typical Spurs who will burst the bubble and everyone will have big owners that it actually makes no difference. Because, you know, Newcastle are probably the last one in to be like, right, we might be able to break this because Arsenal, Liverpool, they don't have those those sort of owners. United to an extent as well. But if United have them as well, if Spurs have them, Newcastle have them, then, then, then everyone's got money. So it makes no difference. And the players will start to say, well, I can get all the same wage here. Who am I going to go to? The clubs with the heritage and the experience. Um, it ain't Tottenham. It ain't trophy to Tottenham. So well, to- Tottenham have a lot more heritage and trophies than Newcastle, which is what is a funny thing. When before the the Newcastle United um, Cup final, you know Newcastle haven't won a trophy for like fifty five years, and yet it's Tottenham who get all the trophy drives. Newcastle haven't won any anything for in uh, lots of people's lifetimes. So if you, you know, in terms of heritage and, and history, Tottenham actually have a lot more going for them than the likes of Newcastle do, if, if that's going to be the deciding factor. 
But I guess it's it's because Tottenham have been in the spotlight for so long. And I suppose now, yes, Newcastle in the next five years, if they don't, that's that you'd think or you'd hope that trophyless history would start coming up as well. Um, City still get it even about how, you know, apart from uh, after the 2010s, you know, what were they beforehand? Well, same I, with Chelsea. I mean, Chelsea and City have barely won more trophies than, than Spurs in, in their entire history. And when you think about how many trophies those two clubs have both won in in recent times, it shows you actually how far behind those you know clubs were before the, the cash injection. For sure. But but I guess putting my coaching hat on, um, for yours truly, um, you can pay me later. <laughs> what what's next for Spurs? Well, most likely, and I'm not I'm not um passing any judgment, good or bad, on this when I when I say this, but I think we all know what the most likely outcome is, which is Pochettino coming back. Um whether that's the right or wrong decision I, I don't know, but I think I think that's probably what will happen. And I think then it's a, a, a choice of whether, OK, is Poch coming back and this time he's going to get... Because I agree about having spent money. We've spent a lot of money. Conte's been backed. I don't really buy this whole, oh, young back. Conte's been backed more than any Spurs manager in my time following the club. Poch, on the other hand, I think there were some big signings, but most of the big signings under Poch came right at the very end. And I think the crucial thing with Poch was he wasn't able to kind of get rid of the players he wanted to get rid of. And I think the reason why things went south at the end under him was because it all got a bit stale. And I think I read an article the other day that said in Poch's like five and a bit years at Tottenham, the net spend was 30 million, whereas net spend in the years since he's left has been like nearly 300 million or something. Um, So is it okay with bringing Poch back and now we're going to spend big and back him in a way we didn't back him before because actually looking back, he was right. Or is it we're going to bring Poch back and actually we're going to ask him to do what he did first time round and that's going to be what we do, which is actually to admit that you know until a takeover happens or, or even if a takeover happens, we're not going to be able to outspend the likes of City or uh, Chelsea or even Newcastle. So actually will do what we were doing before, what we had success with under Pochettino, which was actually developing young players and looking for um, talent that, you know, but buying these players before that, you know, like Ericsson, like Kingman's son, like Moussa Dembele, kind of buying these players who may be undervalued, overlooked and, and, and developing them. And I, actually, I think Spurs do actually have more young players coming through than people realise. You mentioned Skip, but I mean, Kulisevsky is only, I think, 22 the likes of Benton Corn and Romero are actually both under 25. Even Basuma and Richardson are both only 25. You have players there who Conte hasn't played, but another manager might like the look of, like um, Jed Spence. You've got Dennis uh, Adogi on loan um, back in Italy. You, you actually do have a young core that you could build around if you wanted to. Skip, as you mentioned, Saar, uh, Hill, if you wanted to bring him back. Like there, there is actually a lot of young talent there you could develop. So I think most likely what's going to happen is they'll bring back Poch and they'll say, right, we want you to try and get the best out of these young players, players like Alfie Devine coming through the academy, there's a lot of hype around. We want you to develop these young players. At the same time, we'll give you a little, you know, a little bit more backing than you had before, but you need to accept that we're not going to be able to outspend all these clubs and you're going to have to sort of deal with that in a way that maybe the likes of Conte and Mourinho never quite could because even though Conte and Mourinho both had backing, they're both managers who... It, it, it's never enough for them, right? And that was never really going to probably, in retrospect, be the right fit for Spurs. I think they brought in Mourinho initially thinking, the team's there, we just need an experienced winner to get us over over the edge. 
they then realised actually no, Poch was right. This team needs it has reached the end of a cycle. It needs a bit of a rebuild. Mourinho isn't the manager to do that. They, to their credit, before they ended up with Nuno, were kind of looking at the managers you'd think would be the better fit. There was talk of um, the likes of uh, Graham Potter and Ten Hag. They were kind of going down that sort of route. And then I think they got distracted by the fact that the likes of Poch and Conte might have been available. Then Paratici came in and the whole thing just got muddled and, and they ended up with Nuno, who I think was clearly a stopgap. They realised pretty early on that stopgap wasn't going to last very long. And so Levy went back in for Conte because he was the highest pro, I think purely because he was the highest profile manager he could find. And I think he was probably a bit embarrassed about how it fell through earlier in the summer. But now with Conte, it's kind of, you know, we had a good start. It got us back into the Champions League. It felt like, right, this is it. But now this season, for a variety of reasons, I think personal as well as football, um, it's looking like it might not work out. And so, yeah, again, you face a, a similar um, kind of reckoning that maybe you had post Mourinho, where you kind of go back to the drawing board and say, okay, what do we want to to do? I think the problem is I don't have any trust in the decision makers at Tottenham to make the right decision. I think whatever decision they make will be the wrong one, right? If it's the right decision to bring Poch back, we won't bring Poch back. If it's the wrong decision to bring Poch back, we'll, we'll bring it. And I think that, you know, particularly Daniel Levy, you know, Daniel Levy gets a lot of criticism. And I think on the business side, you can't fault the job he's done in terms of growing Tottenham's profile and infrastructure. But he's had so many managers now in his time running the club. And at some point, that's got to reflect back on on Tottenham. Why do, why do you cycle through so many managers? Either you keep making the wrong decision or you're not creating the, the circumstances for, for any manager to succeed. But either way, why would you trust somebody who has got it wrong so many times to get it right this time? I mean, the best, you know, the most successful managers Spurs have had in my time supporting the club have probably been Martin Yol, Harry Redknapp and Pochettino. Each one of those were a mistake. Yol came in because San, uh, Santini was sacked. Redknapp came in when Ramos had his bottom of the league and basically to keep us up. And then he ended up doing more than anyone expected by then getting us in the Champions League. And then Pochettino was because they, they wanted Louis van Gaal and he turned us down to go to United. So the best managers we've we've had, at least the ones that I've enjoyed watching the most, have been the kind of the ones we sort of f- fell into. So I I don't really have any, you know, if Conte leaves at the end of the summer, at the end of the season, which it looks likely, I don't really trust whoever it is, whether it's Levy or Paratici, and we don't know what's going on with him and his ban from football, I don't really trust them to make the right decisions. So, and I think you're, you know, we had a big sort of um, debate on this podcast about uh, strategy at Spurs before. And initially it was about Conte and whether or not he had any strategy and tactics. And I think Conte's always had pretty clear strategy and tactics. I just think they're, they're, they're played out now. Everyone knows what they are and it's it's not working and he's too stubborn to change it. Um, so I don't think the problem on the pitch has been a lack of strategy. I think, if anything, it's been um, adhering too strongly to the strategy and not not changing it. But certainly at the top of the club, I don't think there's much of a, a footballing strategy. I think there's been a pretty clear business strategy, and that's not a, a bad thing. They are running a business at the end of the day. But I think the footballing strategy at Spurs has always been confused. You see it through the managers we lurch between, going from Ramos to Redknapp to AVB to Sherwood to Pochettino to Mourinho. It's all very... Yeah, we bring in these directors of football and then we get rid of them and then we bring in another director of football and get rid of them. It's all very all over the place. And I think that's where a lot of the calls for new ownership come from and, and where new ownership might potentially make a difference. Not so much financially, because as you say, everyone's kind of got big money now that's of the Premier League, but more potentially in just n- new ideas and putting in a more 
well-rounded thought through footballing infrastructure. And I think that's the thing. People make the comparison with people say, oh, you know, Arsenal have uh, stood by Arteta and say that's what you need to do. You just stick by the manager. But it wasn't just that you stuck by Arteta. If I remember correctly, and you can kind of um, sort of explain this to me more if I've misremembered this or, you know, more to say on it. But didn't you completely kind of clear out the the people above Arteta as well? You know, you initially had all these people, was it what, Sanyeli and Venkatesh? You had this kind of setup, um, Sven Mislintat as well at one point. Yeah. And you sort of cleared the, and, and they were they, they were bringing in, huge, you know, Pepe for however much money, you know, you talk about Ndombele and Richardson, but you had huge um, outlay on, on, on signings that didn't work out. But you cleared the decks above Arteta and you seemed to really streamline and sort out the kind of the football decision-making above the manager and that seems to be as much as sticking by Arteta instrumental in, in, in terms of what's happened now. And I feel like that is is kind of what is needed at, at Tottenham. Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that. And I can cover that in a moment because I, I was just thinking about this this Poch thing. And it's kind of like, well, as you say, like, yeah, it will probably be that. But I almost think, well, what's the point? You're going backwards in time, but you're trying to recreate history. And that history wasn't even that successful in the first place. Let's be honest. Apart from that lucky Champions League run, um, I don't think anyone would ever speak about Pochettino again. So I'm a bit cynical about it, to be honest. Um, the guy didn't even win the Champions League at PSG with the best team in the world. So, Well, no no one's won the, the Champions League at PSG. No one, but he should have. I I don't know. I just I think it's a weird... I, I just... I don't see the point. And that's the thing. It goes back to that strategy. What do you... When you wake up and think about Spurs, you think, where are you going? You can see with Arsenal, we're all on this train. We were last year, even when we were finishing fifth. We can see where we're going. And as you've said rightly before, signing young players is not a strategy. But it's it's finding a way to say, what do we need to do? And, and whether that's a bottom-up or top-up approach. Because it sounded like with Conte now, he had his idea, Levy had his idea. And it was not, there was no alignment. There hasn't been this alignment. That was shown with Jed Spence. Whereas as you say with, with Arsenal, when Unai was in charge, it was very top down. You had the kind of, um, I think Mislintat might have left just before that, but with uh, Sanelli and all of that and Pepe, I mean, God knows what was happening there. Um, and then that once that was once that was kind of out of the way, and Arteta came in, he started having his approach his style of football, what he needed. He started dropping the players he didn't want, started playing the young players he did want, and and that dictated the approach to the top, and they bought into it. And ever since then, everything feels like it has Arteta written all over it. I don't know one Arteta signing that he hasn't kind of stuck 100% by, apart from maybe Willian. I think that was the only mistake. And And to be honest with you, as bad as it went, I don't think that Willian signing was a was a mistake in the set, apart from the contract, which wasn't really his fault. Um, you know, if you're able to get a player with that pedigree on a free to to help you as you're growing, I don't think it was a bad idea. It just didn't work out. Every club has that, right? Um, but yes, I agree with you that 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 by clearing decks and having clarity at the top. But I don't think anything really changed. I mean, Josh Kroenke came out and made some statements. Vinay kind of took a bit more of a backseat. We brought in someone in the kind of a legal department. Edu got a bit of a, a sideways shift. Arteta got a promotion. So they did have the right setup. 
But I do believe, and this is why I was going back to the original point on Poch, is that is that actually, at the end of the day, we skirt around the issue, a lot of us football fans, that it's about 11 players and a squad on the pitch playing football. And the truth is about creating a style of winning football games. And I always go back to the example, Claudio Ranieri took a Leicester team, some good players, not brilliant, made them play football and won a league. And the question about Spurs is, why, with all those managers, with all these talented players they've had over time, have they not been able to just say, let's focus on the style of play, stop blaming the top and go and win a trophy? And that, for me, is 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 gross negligence from from, from everyone involved in Spurs. Um, so I don't know what to say on that front, because actually, I don't know whether it's almost like another little curse. And I don't know whether if Spurs nicked a FA Cup this year, whether that would have triggered anything. But I think it's getting to the point now where they will fall behind because if you're a player now, I do think you're looking. And if the other teams are uh, in in, um, in contention for you, you're thinking, why on earth would I go to Spurs with no settled manager? Um, you know, probably by the end of the summer, no talisman either. What's the point? The only thing that's going for Spurs at the moment is is being in London. I think, look, Spurs were able to attract players before we had um, Champions League football and before we had the stadium. It, you know, these days, you look all the way down the Premier League, even the likes of, you know, West Ham and Nottingham Forest are able to spend big money to, to bring in players. The Premier League is always a draw. London is always a draw. Spurs are still a big club. And there's only so many clubs to go around. There's only so many players to go around. You're always going to be able to sign players. So I'm not worried about that. And, you know, I, the talisman who you mentioned in Harry Kane is not a player who we signed. So you never know where the next star is going to come from. Um, you know, likes of Bale and Modric, Berbatov, whoever. There's always players that come through. So I'm, I'm not particularly worried about that. What you said about kind of embedding a, a style of play that's fun to watch and that competes. I mean, that is exactly what Poch did in his first time around. He, we, we fell short, but I don't think that was for, for lack of trying. And I think when you look at particularly, you know, coming up against Liverpool in the Champions League final, or it was always Chelsea or United uh, in the semi-finals or finals that we got to, he got us the closest we've got to, to winning a league in in sixty odd years. You know, we were one of the team. I mean, actually, it was Arsenal who who bottled it that Leicester season, not not Spurs. But you look at the season after that as well. Eighty six points, only fell second to Antonio Conte's Chelsea. And actually, you look at Leicester and you look at um, Chelsea the following season. Neither of them had European football. They could both go all out for the league. And I think maybe that's been part of the issue for, for uh, you know, Spurs at times. Part of it is just timing, right? It's, it's getting the timing right. Arsenal, and look, we'll see how it ends this season because we're, we're talking as if Arsenal already won the league. You could yet fall short, end up with nothing. And by your own metrics with how you just dismissed the Pochettino thing, say, oh, it was a complete failure, right? If you're saying, oh, Poch was nothing because he didn't win. Okay, Arteta won the FA Cup a few seasons ago. But in terms of judging this season individually, by your trophy is all that matters metric, if Arsenal blow it and finish second and don't win anything, then you'll be saying, oh, well, it was nothing. But like you say, it's about how you feel as a fan. It's about the connection to the team. And that's what Poch brought first time round. So I can understand why people might kind of pine for that now, even if it's potentially, like you said, more more nostalgia than kind of looking to uh, looking to the future. But it's it's all to do with, with timing. You know, Liverpool would have loved it if the, the seasons they were getting 90 plus points but finishing second city, if they could have come up against this city rather than the city of a year or two ago, a city who were clearly in transition, right? Uh, you know, you look at Chelsea and how how poorly they're doing this season. Sometimes 
things just fall into place, like they fell into place for Leicester that season, like they fell into place for Chelsea that season under Conte when they went on that winning run and, and like I said, didn't have any European football to worry about. Sometimes, you know, Spurs under Pochettino across two seasons were the best team in England when you put all those games together, but just never at that right moment. And sometimes that happens. That's just, that's just football. That's just life. And it's about, sometimes it's about just the, you know, not to say it's all just down to luck. Of course, you need to deliver. And it's not to say, you know, Leicester and Chelsea didn't deserve those titles, but sometimes you need things to fall for you as well. Um, so, you know, I think ultimately Spurs will, things can change very quickly as well. We, I mean, last week, Man United on top of the world have won a trophy. Today, they've they've had their worst ever defeat to Liverpool, lost 7-0, right? Arsenal last season finished fifth. Now you're top with 12 games to go. Leicester nearly got relegated, then they won. You know, things can can change very quickly. I don't think in football you're ever as far away as you, you think. It's only ever one or two right decisions away the right managerial appointment, the right signing away from competing again. And there's always ups and downs, you know, teams aren't around forever. So I think in the in the long run, you know, it's not as bad as we're making out. I think a lot of the angst at Spurs is because of how well Arsenal are doing as well. And the fact that, like I said, it felt like we'd we'd leapfrogged you. Um, well, I mean, we'd finished, not, I mean, we'd finished above you many years. And it feels like, like I said, that that's kind of, been squandered because now you've taken this massive leap up and we're kind of around where we were still and so that's kind of making things feel worse but I think all it takes is is one good decision for, for things to turn around although as I said earlier I don't, I don't really trust Tottenham's decision making at the moment but look when Poch came in the first time round people weren't expecting him to take us to a Champions League final or, or even finish as high as second I think the biggest expectation was oh maybe he'll get us into the Champions League by the time the new stadium opens. So, you know, you, you never know. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just uh, clutching the straws now. No, I think it's, I think it's a fair point. And I, I suppose, listen, you've got to, you've, at the end of the day, Spurs just need to move forward. That is, that is, that is the crux of it. And, and for me, going back, I mean, I don't know any examples of managers going back that have been a success. And the most recent ones, probably David Moyes at West Ham. Look at that. He's about to get them relegated. The um, only example I can think of is is um, Paul Hurst at Grimsby, who got us out of the National League, went away, came back, got us back out of the National League, and now has us in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. But well, that's at opposite Hurst, end of the pyramid to Tottenham. Maybe, maybe it's Paul Hurst for Spurs. Maybe. But but this is the thing. Like Everyone who, who does a new strategy that wins seems to be unique i don't i don't know clubs that follow the same strategy you know united when they were dominant it was kind of having your old manager who stays forever and just picks the best of the bunch buys the best players then you have the cities who who literally spend 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 now you have the arsenal going young um and i guess united did that a long time ago it's i guess it's picking one sticking with it and sticking through the hard times because i suppose what spurs do or what they've done is like when Arteta a couple of years ago, they probably would have sacked Arteta, right? Instead of saying, you know, this is it, this is it, let's keep going, let's keep going. Um, the truth is that Arsenal, Arteta could say, I'm going to Barcelona or City, and I think we would be set up now, knowing, all right, you might not get exactly the same, but it's set up the system for a type of manager like Arteta. I don't know, like a Nagelsmann or something, or someone. I don't know. I, I guess I'm being stereotypical saying it's just someone young, but someone with a similar philosophy. Whereas 
as you say, when you're chopping and changing, it's 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 God knows. But I suppose we're now we're now into that business end of the season where it's you can't spend money. Um, you probably can't. There's probably no point sacking a manager and changing manager now. So on the pitch, you're thinking, well, what needs to change? Um, and uh, I mean, I can't empathise there because I don't want anything to change from Arsenal <laughs> except be a little bit a bit more lethal. But I suppose do you start dropping? I mean, you've already dropped the players. I mean, Hungman's son being dropped is probably a disaster because I'm not sure how good he feels now. One, you know, he seems like someone who cares deeply, and if he's rejected like that, um, you know, I'm sure that hasn't been great for squad morale either. I, well, I don't know. I mean, the only, the only time son's been dropped, he's come off the bench and scored. I think being dropped's been the best. And you know, when he starts games, he hasn't been scoring. He started at the weekend, didn't score. He was dropped for the game against what was it, West Ham? came on and scored, dropped against Leicester, came on and scored a hat-trick. I think, if anything, the problem at Spurs this season has been there's not been enough of that. You were talking about earlier about Martinelli and Trossard. I think part of the problem is Conte hasn't been using his squad. He hasn't been dropping people. I mean, Dan Juma came off the bench against Preston to make his debut in the Cup, scored a goal. We've barely seen him since. Right, Richarlison, I kind of feel sorry for him because he's barely got a look in. And when he has got a look in, he's being thrown on late in games when we're not playing well or he's being played out of position. You know, and you've, you've got... It just it seems like he's just playing the same system and a lot of the same players again and again and again, almost hoping they'll just play themselves into form. And it and it doesn't feel like there's that that meritocracy there. Um, and I don't know whether that will change between now and end of the season because it because it has to, um, you know, whether players start getting injured or or whatnot or whether he just you know thinks well, I'm out of here soon. I might as well I don't know give everyone a go. But I think. I think that's been part of the problem at Spurs has been that lack of rotation in it. And then it means when you do rotate, like you did against Sheffield United, you get such disjointed performances because you get players who aren't used to sort of playing with each other. I mean, I, that Lucas Richarlison Son front three, I don't think those, those three players had started a game, the three of them together all season. And then you're starting them like that. I mean, Lucas Mora barely played any football. And you think, well, why is he starting over Richarlison and Dan Juma, who both come in this year? Lucas Moura's contract's out at the end of the season. He's leaving. And it, it, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But Richarlison, I always think, well, there's never been a good backup strike for Kane. And Richarlison, really, and it seems like when they play in the same team, well, it's not a light light for Raceman. And maybe, again, if Kane, I mean, I know he does perform, but maybe try something different. You know, so in that Wolves game, you have someone proper. And it's just... Again, it seems like spending money, but not in the right places and not with a coherent, this is what's it going to do and this, this is session planning. And I I don't worry personally, I worry for Spurs kind of metaphorically, I suppose, that you get to the summer, you lose a couple of those key players and then it really is back to the start. And uh, it almost is full circle to when we started supporting our um, football where Arsenal were dominant, Spurs in the mud and with no strategy. It's almost... And it's funny because in between it's been all Spurs, but at the end of the day, the the cream rises to the top, and uh, at the moment it's Arsenal FC. Well, we'll see. We'll see how long it lasts. As I said, things can change very quickly in football. Who knows? Maybe Spurs will go on another miraculous run to the Champions League final, and and Arsenal will will bottle the league. One of the which would be one of the bit, biggest league bottlings, considering. The, uh, the advantages you've had over the course of the season, you know, it'd be a record for how many points after 19 games and being topped by this amount at the end, at the, the certain stages of the season. So 
I will be, as much as I hate Man City and, and kind of everything they stand for, I will be cheering them on between now and the end of the season and hoping that somehow Spurs can uh, go one better than the heroics of 2019 and, and fluke a Champions League out of nowhere. If we do that, then I don't care what happens because we'll be champions of Europe. But I, I don't know why I even think that's a possibility considering we can't even beat Sheffield United in the FA Cup. I don't think we're going to beat anyone in the Champions League. But as long as we're still in it until Wednesday night, at least, um, I'll hold on to that dream. It's the hope that kills you, I'm afraid. But yeah, some some of uh, people I'm speaking to are saying, oh, let's try and secure second. No, no, no. If we're top four, I don't care whether we're fourth or, or second. It's all about first. I want to be seeing us uh, champions. I want to be sending pictures of you, uh, to you rather, um, <laughs> on uh, of me on Holloway Road, um, watching the Arsenal players lift the trophy on the parade. That's what I want um, in May. And uh, I'm manifesting that to happen. I think I need to make sure I'm out of the country the last weekend of the season. And I'll follow you. Wherever you go, I will follow you. Hybrid podcasting. Please, please, please no.